Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. I'd like to introduce Becky Lawler. She is the founder, chief research and content officer at Redpoint, a research and content services agency focused on providing customized B2B research insights and content to build your authority and audience. Becky is a market leader with over 10 years of experience creating thought leadership, content for B2B tech brands from startups to Fortune 500s. Over the past several years, Becky has honed her original research skills, serving hundreds of B2B audiences and working with marketing teams around the globe to create high-quality research-based content that drives demand and builds awareness. Welcome, Becky. How are you? I'm great. Excited to be here. I look forward to talking to you. So I often start off with, if you can tell me, what are the aha moments that led you to become the founder and chief research and content officer at Redpoint? I started in freelance as a content, a B2B content writer. And one of the aha moments that really shifted my focus was as part of that, I'd been writing a lot of what I call third party based white papers or research pieces where you go out, you spend time on the internet, find the data and compile it. But when you're working with a lot of brands in the same space, you start to realize it's really hard to not be repeating yourself or having interesting insights. So when I had clients, and I think Adobe was really my first client that handed me a big data set and said, we've gone out, we've done this original research, and we'd love to have you write a report on it. And it was just kind of like the minute I got that assignment, a little, a little light bulb went off in my head that like, wow, this is so interesting to me. I know this is going to be more interesting to the audience than the other types of content I've been writing because it's unique. It's original. Like, who's not going to be excited to read that? So that really started my journey trying to pursue more first just writing those types of content where there was really original research coming in and more customer interviews and that type of thing. So both the qualitative and quantitative type of data, but eventually wanting to pursue being able to offer kind of the Indian service of that and be able to be on the front end of crafting the whole story that would come out of the data to create the content. Interesting. So tell me a little bit more about, you know, when you say original research-based content, some of our listeners may not know exactly what you're talking about. So maybe you can explain exactly what that is. Yeah. So how it differs is that you are in some form going out and creating new, unique, or original would be the word research. Now it can be done a a bunch of different ways. The most common is usually survey-based research where you go out and you survey either through a panel vendor or email list your target audience, and you get kind of data points back. And then you're incorporating that into content and sharing it out. The other way, though, is there's lots of opportunities. I've worked with clients that have like internal data, like I have one client who has call analytics. And so they can look at their internal data. And during COVID, they did that looking at like small businesses, was their call volume going up or down to kind of gauge the state of business for businesses if they're not getting a lot of inbound calls that's really showing that they're struggling, right? So that's another way that's data that only they have. So it's original, again, research that they can share out. It can even be done with third party. Andy Crestadina is great at this. Like you can go out, you can look at, I know like one time he looked at websites, like a hundred websites 
looking at different design features and kind of analyzing like where were companies put in certain things. And then you can kind of go look on the back end and see like where they're traffic, how much traffic and kind of make some deductions that way. So there's a bunch of different ways you can create original research. And the other one is actually qualitative, which is customer interviews, which is just actually interviewing maybe 10 people and getting their insights that way um, and a smaller kind of target group. So even interviews could be considered that kind of original research. Hmm. I want to get into this, how you pick some of the topics, but before I do, I want to talk about something that's very interesting that you found. And I think you've had an aha moment to led you to say that this type of research actually drives performance, unlike any other type of content. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I have just seen over and over again that the benefits from it are just tremendous. And this is another reason that I wanted to dive into it more is because I felt like I could then deliver a real ROI to my clients. And so I've seen customers that have used original research, like for lead gen, two to three times the leads of any other type of campaign or content that they've run is kind of the typical standard that they will see from this. And it's also, I think when you're doing gated content, it's one of the few types of content that people actually will (laughs) give up their information for because it is valuable. They may not give it up for just a regular ebook or white paper, but they will for this type of content. I've also seen it work really well for PR. That's another great play for this. I have one client that over 80 media mentions They got in front of 2.5 million readers, which they estimated was about a 250,000 worth of free advertising from one original research report that we did where they did a survey and then took that out. It also can even help with things like speaking engagements and trade shows. The same client had been trying for a couple of years to get into some prestigious trade shows in their industry and had not been able to get a speaking engagement when they applied with this research in hand, not only did they get accepted for a speaking position, they actually got prime like keynote speaking positions, which then also led to more visibility, more thought leadership, and ultimately getting more leads through that type of participation in the trade show. So there are just so many different ways. SEO actually can be a great SEO play you can generate a lot of backlinks. People cite your research in their content and then you get a lot of backlinks. So that's another play. I could just go on and on (laughs) to the benefits of it, but there's just so many. So what tips or guidance do you have for people that want to consider this and say, hey, what kind of topics would really work or what types of areas of research would really make a big difference in terms of establishing yourself as an authority? Yeah. So I think part of that is you need to do a little research yourself. You need to look around and understand what research is already out in your space. And depending on your industry and your space, there are certain ones where there is already like, if you're trying to do, you know, the state of marketing, that's probably been done 900 times or the state of IT, those are kind of common ones. So you need to move beyond that. If you're in a space where there is already a lot of research, you really want to find kind of a niche angle and you want it to align with your products and services, but you're not doing it in a salesy way. You just want to make sure that there's some alignment. Another one is to look around at trends that are going on. Often you can do what's called like a pulse survey, a shorter, quick survey around a trend in your industry. Like, you know, when COVID came out, that was a great opportunity for different types of trend surveys. Or even now with AI, I've seen a lot of those kind of trend surveys. Again, to make it resonate with your audience, you really want to find an angle that is unique and that hasn't already been tapped. So these trend surveys, are you talking about doing a baseline and then repeating it over time or just a survey on the current trends? 
So on a trend, I would say it's more of a survey on a current trends. I would say an annual report, which is also very common and is a great way to really establish your thought leadership. And a lot of companies have done this. I mean, I think this has helped even like Salesforce has generated kind of the visibility of thought leadership they have over the years is everybody looks for certain Salesforce year over year annual, like they do a state of marketing report every year. And that's that year over year kind of annual report that you could do where you can look at new topics for that year, but also kind of revisit things that you have asked in the past to kind of chart how those trends are changing. You talked about not being too salesy. So have you found kind of the right balance between being really you know, informative, helpful, and salesy? Because obviously the whole goal is to establish them as an authority. What kind of mix do you recommend usually? Well, I don't recommend that you're at all salesy in this. The real goal of it should just be to deliver value to the market. And you need to understand what that value looks like. Starts with, again, your research goals. So typically the two top goals that most of my clients have is either the media, you know, getting more media and brand awareness or the lead generation. Those are typically the two biggest kind of return on investments for it. But depending which one is your primary goal, if you're leaning more towards really wanting to get media and that kind of brand awareness from it, you may want to look around at what is going on in your industry and what publications would be interested in publishing. And then you want to find a topic that kind of aligns with that, but also is around something that you do, not that you're being salesy, but that at least aligns with your product or service so that there's kind of a tie in, so to speak, that it makes sense that you would be covering this topic. If you're doing lead gen, again, you want to think about the art audience that you're trying to target to get leads with and think about what kind of research again would be interesting to them. Often I think that peer-based people want to know what are my peers doing? What challenges do they have? Are they the same ones I have? What are they doing? Can we benchmark ourselves against that? How are we doing compared to that? So that may be an area you can look at for kind of lead gens. And are you looking, does you find that just delivering results is most helpful or actually delivering some real insights as well? I think the insights as well can be really helpful, especially in building that additional thought leadership. You can either just do a report that's really like visual and just has the data in it. A lot of people like for lead gen, I think if you're just trying to get people to look at it, that could be great. But if you really want to go that extra step and establish yourself as a thought leadership, I think bringing in your insights, like when you see that there's certain challenges or sometimes even when you get data back and you can't really like you're, it's kind of surprising and you don't really know why. I prefer rather than just trying to surmise and editorialize <laughs> that you bring in some industry experts or even internal thought leaders and quote them and let them kind of give their viewpoint of like why this is happening or why this might be. I think that that lends extra credibility when you kind of bring in those industry insights or even internal thought leadership perspective into the report to add that value. You talked about doing qualitative and quantitative. Is there a certain mix that you find works well? in terms of when you actually do these types of research projects that are user content related? Yeah, it really depends, again, going back to the goals that somebody has. And also, I mean, to be honest, sometimes it can be a resource and time question. Doing quantitative and qualitative together, that adds more time because both of those are kind of a bit time consuming to do. But I do think that at least adding some what I would say is adding the interviews to a quantitative, but not, this is more just kind of getting responses to the quantitative data that you have. I think for a 
qualitative, I think it's interesting to just go out like I've done ones where you just maybe you're interviewing 10 CMOs or 10 CIOs and really getting their perspective on a certain problem or issue in that space and then creating a report off that. And that could be really valuable in its own right versus trying to kind of fully mix those two. It almost gets too big. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. What types of sample sizes are you typically finding that that works well for both quantitative and qualitative? Yeah. So for a B2B audience, especially if you're going more niche, like you really want to put some parameters around it. Maybe you want IT professionals, but they need to have these certain roles and they need to be in companies of a certain size. The more you kind of set those parameters and hone in on a very specific group, the harder it is to have a larger sample size. And so I typically say for a B2B professional audience, you need to absolutely have over a hundred unless you're really like doing top Fortune 500 CIOs or something, then you could go even smaller. But really 150 is very common for that. 250 is a really strong showing. 500 is getting up there. I mean, certainly you can have bigger surveys, but 150 is acceptable for press in this space because these audiences are smaller and harder to find and harder to survey. So you're not looking to get like a plus or minus 5% then? It's okay if you have a larger variance? You are getting still typically in the plus or minus 5%. It's usually 4 or 5% with this audience. And this is something interesting, just kind of aside is one of the things they say is, I know there's this thought around like the larger the sample size, the more accuracy. But there's also another thought. I have this book called How to Measure Anything. And he what he calls is the rule of five. And I've actually seen this in my own work with clients because we do what's called a soft watch where we get 10% of the responses in. We pause it, we double check those responses, kind of make sure everything lines up. We just want to make sure that like, oh, seems like everybody's answering this really differently than we thought. Is it because we asked the question right or is it just we're surprised by the results, that kind of thing. But what they found is he said, if you take a sample size of even five, you will find that the trend actually almost always as you go to a larger size, the trend holds. <laughs> so, and I've seen that with the 10% that where we stop and look and typically whatever trends I'm seeing at 10%, I mean, the numbers might change slightly, like it might be 60% and it goes to 63% and up or down here or there. But generally, the trends that I see at 10% are there once we get to 100% of the sample size. So I'm curious, uh, when you do these projects, are there any ones that stand out to you in terms of the topic that you did and the results exceeded your expectations? And what was that? Maybe you can give us an example of one that you did and you weren't sure which way it was going to go, but it really exceeded your expectations because of the particular topic or what you found out. Yeah. So one, I had a client there in the manufacturing space. And I think one thing there is they do testing equipment for manufacturers that package food and household goods. And we decided to do one on sustainable packaging. Now there's a lot of consumer data out there about sustainable packaging, but what there isn't or wasn't at the time is kind of that internal manufacturing process data around sustainable packaging. So we went and interviewed, again, a very niche audience. They had to work in a company, that a manufacturing company that was doing food or household packaging that was investing in sustainable packaging, and they needed to be involved in that process, either like a researcher in the lab, quality control, or assurance of the packaging, or actually on the packaging manufacturing line. And because this type of internal data around like, you know, what are the challenges they are having with new materials? What types of materials are they looking at using that they haven't used yet? What challenges are there around adhering to standards that quality 
testing these new materials. You know, this is a new area and there's a lot of challenges in there. And when we published this research, this is the client that I mentioned earlier that they got 80 plus media mentions with the PR. But in addition to that, one of the things that really surprised me is Gartner actually <laughs> cited their research in one of their articles, which to me tells you, one, you're doing kind of really thought authority and groundbreaking research to get it picked up by another analyst like Gartner. And two, just that the research really wasn't out there. And so they really were able to make a big impact with that. And it really did elevate their thought leadership and authority in that space. And it was so successful. We did another one just this last year. They're still getting mileage off that first one two years later, as well as the one they just did. And they sort of said, we had no problem getting budget for year two because it was the most successful thing we did for that whole year. Nice. And so what are the KPIs usually recommend that they use to measure the success of these? Yeah. Again, going back to what their outcomes are that they want. Like I said, typically they want lead gen and press from it or the two. So I would say you set your KPIs, like what would be a successful, what does lead gen look like for you? And each company might do this differently, but is that how many emails that you get? Do they need to qualify in certain levels? But whatever you consider a qualified lead, you should be tracking that. Like I have one client, they told me this year, so this could be another way to track it. Like they had their paid ads the first quarter and they got a certain amount of leads, but in Q2 without any paid ads, they still generated over 200 leads, which was a third of the leads coming in. So you may have, even you want to track the KPI according to like, we'll put so much money behind this, but what happens after that? Can we generate leads without using paid ads? That could be another KPI that you want internally. And then you might have some KPIs around like, you know, what kind of press is it specific publications that you really want to be in? Like, these are our top five. Can we get in at least three of those? Or is it just how many media mentions we can get overall? Kind of goes back to your own goals, but that's how I would recommend breaking it down. So for most of your clients, this actually comes out of their marketing budget as opposed to a research budget. So it's a whole different type of, I think, sales <laughs> process for them as well, right? For you? Yeah. In my view, what I'm doing is a content marketing play. You can use some of this data and we typically do like, you can use some of it for product development and can also be really valuable for sales enablement. But the idea is typically to do this research to produce content, like I said, for press, for lead gen. And really, it can even set your whole content strategy for the year. It kind of gives you an idea of what challenges, what topics are relevant to your customers. And then you set your content foundation. You can do blogs, webinars, infographics, and all that from the data you have. So you can really create content for a whole year out of it. Sure. Do you find that sometimes, even though you're doing it as a content play, that you actually turn it into a syndicated report as well and that you actually can sell the report? Yeah, you can definitely do it as a syndicated report as well. Again, just like whether you're trying to get it just published free in media or you're going to kind of do a syndicated report, again, I think it will drive more leads than if you just syndicated a standard kind of white paper ebook because, again, it's just going to be more appealing. So I think from my perspective, you're probably going to get a stronger ROI when you do syndicate because it's just going to be more appealing and they'll be able to give you more leads through that syndicate. Yeah, I, I can see the press picking up things like this because it's very unique original research that they often can't find anywhere else. So I can see industry press especially picking up the results from these kind of reports for sure. Yeah. And if you're in either like an emerging space, like this is a real way to set yourself apart from other players that if you're all new, you can 
be the first one to do the data and own kind of those stats and then continue to build your authority year over year. Or if you're in a space where there's just not a lot of research being done right now, I think it's a huge opportunity because there isn't already a lot out there. So it's really going to set you apart. Are there certain industries that this works better for, or is this something that can work with pretty much any type of company in the industry? I mean, I think it works really for any type of company in any type of industry. You have to understand who your audience is and how that works. We're talking mostly B2B here, but on B2B companies, sometimes their target audience is really the consumer <laughs> in some ways, or their clients, they need to survey the consumer to appeal to their clients. So you have to think about that and you have to think about which publications and how it will work. And it can be more challenging in some spaces than others. But I think there's always a play for putting something original out in the market. I mean, just like it sounds like who doesn't want something that's more original and interesting than what's already out there. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about AI. How is that impacting your work or maybe even some of the topics that you're looking at now for research? For my own personal work, I'm using it the same way everybody else is, you know, to add a little bit of efficiency. Sometimes I use it to brainstorm in the content writing headlines and stuff. I'm not using it to write anything. I'm still even surveys. I write my own surveys. Again, you could play around with it and say, hey, is there a better format? Would you do something different here? But really, it's just to gain efficiencies. As far as in the space, I'm definitely seeing a lot of my clients asking at least a subset of AI questions, especially in the B2B tech space. A lot of vendors are looking to incorporate AI into their own products. So they want to know what people are thinking, how they're using it, whether they're using it or not. So seeing a lot of interesting results where there's kind of, I feel like I've seen a lot of kind of 60-30 splits in companies where we're asking like, are you using it? And 60% are using it. And then there's this 30% that are like, no, it's too risky. We have security concerns, which I find interesting because it's kind of like, what's going to happen to those 30% of companies down here not using it all with their competitive advantage? I just find that interesting, but I have seen that trend in several different categories of tech that I've been surveying and asking around AI. Now, is there another type of original research you've been wanting to get into and you're hoping maybe some of your clients start doing that is a little bit different than you've done in the past? After all kinds of, I've worked with clients on like using their internal data or even third party, but I do think that there's more of an untapped opportunity to use that internal data that clients may have in a way. And of course you do this in a way that's still anonymous and you're protecting your customers. <laughs> privacy, you're just really sharing kind of trends you're seeing. And I think some of the struggle there is just what I've seen is that it's actually hard sometimes for them to pull out that data in a way that makes analysis easy or they need to do more cleanup on their end to be able to work with it and use it. But I do think it's an untapped opportunity for a lot of companies where they are collecting some data and they could turn around and use it in their content marketing. Can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Yeah. So earlier I talked about the call analytics company. They can use that, but there's a lot of companies that collect data. Really, probably almost any marketing technology is collecting kind of data on how their users are using it. Like even companies that do heat maps or whatever, they can produce a report about like what they've seen over because now they have hundreds of clients that have used their technology. So it would be interesting to know, like, out of all of those, where do you see people, like when they go to a website, where do your heat maps show people go first? How do they click? You know, there's got to be some 
kind of patterns and trends in there. And this is, again, where I think AI can help make all of this easier to kind of pull out those patterns and trends and do more with it. You know, and this is actually faster and more cost effective. But I'm curious, I'm sure many people would feel, I don't want to give up competitive data or knowledge. So what do you say to that argument? I think it's a fair argument and you have to judge what is the right data to release and what's not the right data to release. But I think I would say you should at least be having the question and conversation internally about what data do we have internally that could be interesting to the marketplace? Is that data we can share? How can we share that data in a way that doesn't give up a competitive advantage, but also helps us give something of value to our customers? I think you're right. I think if they, if people look at it and do it in aggregate, right, not necessarily anything specific, I think they can be really quite helpful and interesting research. And again, that further establishes them as a thought leader in the space as well, because they're actually talking about stuff that they're doing. So I, I understand it, but I could see how clients could be hesitant thinking they're giving away competitive advantage information to the industry. Yeah, I think both are true. And again, I think it also comes down to really thinking about what will deliver value back to the audience that we're trying to serve here. Is there any of the things you're seeing in the future that's going to be also influencing what you're doing in terms of original research and content marketing, some new trends or things you're seeing that's on the horizon? I mean, I think AI is going to influence this space because I think it's probably already there for kind of like the poor quality SEO, just churn something out type of content. You can probably just use it or do a little bit of editing. So as AI kind of makes content even more pervasive or kind of generic content more pervasive, I think there is going to be, in order to stand out, and it's already hard to stand out, let's acknowledge that, there's so much content already, but as AI becomes more of a tool to just churn content, there's just going to be more of a demand for what I would call the human element to content, which is, this is why original research or even customer case studies do well, is people want to know what other humans are doing or interviews, right? that human to human element and that you're only going to get that through surveying and interviewing and talking to other humans and then putting that out in your content. And that is something that AI cannot actually do. We don't have robots that can go interview somebody and <laughs> write it. So I think that's really where the future will be leaning is there'll be more demand and more need if you really want to stand out to create original content that is based off of original research of some sort. I'm curious, when you report the data, do you like to report as just numbers and a report, or do you actually try to weave it into a story that also resonates with the audience? Story. Always a story for me. I think that that is important. You never know what the data is going to reveal, but when we are working in the strategy phase at the start, before we even design the survey, we try to create, like, what is the story that we think we can tell here? What is our hypothesis? What are some myths we want to bust? And I always create kind of like a story outline from that, then it may have to shift based on some of the results we get back. We may be surprised things and need to retell the story in a different way. But I mean, you probably know those stories draw people in and you want to have a narrative, not just data. And in fact, I've seen cases where research has been done and they didn't kind of think about it from a story perspective. And then they just do the research and they get back data, but it's not actually interesting because there is no story. They've just got a bunch of random story data points. So it's actually critical that you think about the storyline right from the beginning. Yeah, I would think that'd be very important because at the end of the day, you're using this for content marketing, not just to write a report on uh, research results. You want to go beyond that. 
And I'll tell you, I've seen it over and over. And this is something I just say for folks if they're thinking of diving into this is that there are research vendors out there that do research and sometimes they're not really immersed in like the content point. So they can do great research, but they haven't thought about how to like when you're designing your survey, it's actually really important to be thinking about the end goal and thinking about how this can be used to cut it. You're not in any way biasing the survey. It's just there are certain ways to phrase a question that are going to work better in a messaging headline than if you ask it in a certain way or a certain type of question. Again, like you need to think about, do I want four buckets? So I'm really consolidating the percentage points or I'm going to ask in 10 buckets, which means I might have 5% here and 10% here. I'm not going to have as clear of a trend. So even how you think about how you're going to ask and what type of questions you're going to use matters. And I'll give you an example of this with um, a client that I worked with and actually that was working with a vendor. Previously, they'd been doing an annual report for three years and they were kind of like, well, we're getting mad results. I'm not really sure. Let's try one more year. And they decided to look for a new vendor and we worked together. And I was even surprised because I do come from both the research and the content marketing. So I was bringing both of those together. And what they found is in one month after they released the report, which again, and they would say it was the data plus storytelling chops that mattered. One month after the report, they saw three times the leads than they'd seen in the entire previous year with the previous report from the previous vendor. So getting that data plus story is really important in order to see the performance that you want out in the market. Mm -hmm. No, I can see that. And I think it's really important because at the end of the day, you're focusing on content marketing and establishing authority. So that can definitely influence this focus and the scope of the research, you know, as opposed to just doing a research project which is very different. Yes. Yeah, that makes really a lot of sense. So I'm curious, have you done some research from the user's perspective when they see stories and content like this, why this really stands out or why this really resonates with them? I haven't done my own research that way. I mean, I've certainly gone around and kind of anecdotally (laughs) asked people, and I think it's just sort of like a human nature. It's just like, I don't know, I look at myself, like I'm always more drawn to like, oh, even if it's in like The Economist or New York Times or something, where I'm always drawn to like, oh, what does the data say? What does the political poll say? Even if I know like those political polls are wrong half the time, there's just something about kind of being curious, like, oh, it is trending this way, you know, <laughs> like saying Republicans or Democrats are going to, you know, so there's just something that draws you into, I think, just again, that human element of wanting to know what others around you are saying, thinking, feeling that you just don't get in other types of content. And the thing is, news outlets really want this original research. I mean, they really seek. Because it performs, you know. (laughs) It automatically jumps up the ladder in terms of them wanting to report it right away. Yeah. Again, anytime there's a news article that has kind of those stats in it about whatever, it's just a little bit more interesting because all of a sudden you have. Original research, yeah, exactly. Out there, you know. (laughs) So I'm curious if you could have lunch or dinner with anyone in the space of either content marketing or research marketing or content research marketing, because I don't think that many people do that. Who would you like to talk to and why? That's a toughie. I think I'd actually love to, you know, Anne Handley is a name out there, but I think it'd be really interesting to talk with her. Just, I love how she brings a sense of humor into her writing. I think that's really difficult to do well, and she does it well. So, (laughs) and I think it's something that the B2B tech space could use a little bit more of. Oftentimes we're serious and buttoned up. So, I think it would be fun to have a conversation with her about that. I meant to ask you earlier, 
How many of your reports actually turn into infographics or what are your thoughts on infographics with the work you're doing in terms of actually reporting it at the end? Yeah. So infographics, I think a lot of my clients will take it and do a lot of the content. Like I'll create the cornerstone report and then they have in-house resources. So they do a lot of it in-house, but I definitely suggest that they create infographics from it. And most of them do. It's actually also a great PR play to create an infographic with a press release, because again, a lot of bloggers are looking for visuals to go with it. So if you're already supplying the infographic that they can put with the blog, you've just done a little bit more work for them. So it's even more of a draw. So I would recommend you almost, I mean, if you're asking me, I would say you should always do an infographic with your data or multiple infographics because often you have multiple stories from one surveys. Yeah, it's another form of content marketing, especially for various channels where they're looking for the graphics as well. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for giving me a little bit of a peek into your world of customized research for content marketing. I think it's a very fascinating area, and I think it's something that many companies could benefit from. Yeah, thanks so much. It was fun talking to you. I always, as you can probably tell, I'm passionate about this topic, and I have a good time talking about it, so thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. Pleasure talking to you. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>